Well, I'm uh, turning this morning back to 2 Kings and chapter 2, and uh, I want to uh, focus on these verses that we read a few moments ago, verses 1 through to uh, 15, as we think about this theme of the departure of Elijah. Now, I said uh, last week that we were beginning a series looking at the life and the ministry and the miracles of the prophet Elisha. And uh, last week we began back in 1 Kings chapter 19, and we were looking at the call of Elisha to the prophetic office. And we saw, didn't we, how Elijah took off that mantle of his. The mantle, of course, was that uh, special cloak which was symbolic of the prophetic office. It represented the spirit of power that was upon uh, Elijah. And by taking off that mantle and then casting it upon Uh, Elisha, he was anointing him, he was symbolically showing that the power would be transferred to him and that Elisha would be the prophet who stood in his place. And so Elisha was to become, we saw last week, Elijah's disciple, his follower. And we just considered, didn't we, a number of things, a number of details there about Elisha's character, how he was humble, how he was hardworking. And then we looked at his conduct, didn't we? How he responded to this call of Elijah. We saw, didn't we, that his response was selfless. It was a response as well that was immediate. And it was a response that was wholehearted. Elisha was going to follow Elijah with all his heart. But this morning I want to move on to this uh, chapter here, this, uh, this wonderful chapter. It's a chapter that details for us one of the most extraordinary events in all of history, We're given a clue to this momentous event in the very first verse of the chapter. In verse 1, it says, And it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. We're, We're told here that the Lord was going to take Elijah up. He was going to ascend up, that he was going to... Uh, it was going to be an ascension not to some lofty peak or to some mountain top, but into heaven itself. He was going to be translated into the very presence of God, into the joy of his Lord. And we're told that it was going to take place by a whirlwind. He was going to be supernaturally delivered from death, and the Lord was going to take him straight from this earth uh, into glory. And this morning I want to just look at this amazing account Uh, together with you and I just want to draw out a number of interesting points, interesting details from this passage that I trust will provide us with instruction and uh, and help and and comfort this morning. And the first thing that I want us to notice from this uh, passage and I want to draw your attention to here is devotion. Devotion. Notice what it says there in verse 1. It says, it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. He went with him from Gilgal. And before Elijah leaves Gilgal, he says in verse 2, he says to him, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. He says to Elisha, look, I want you to stay here, I want you to stay put in, in, in Gilgal because I'm going to travel alone. Now, it seems clear from this passage that Elijah knew that he was going to be taken up into heaven. Now, we don't know how he knew, but evidently the Lord had revealed this to him in some way. And it 
also it's clear too that everyone else knows that he's going to be taken. The sons of the prophets knew that uh, Elisha's master was going to be taken that day. But Elisha responds in verse 2 and he says, As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And verse 2 concludes that they went down to Bethel. We see the two going together. And now this particular incident that we see there in verse 2 occurs three times. Elijah goes from Gilgal to Bethel, and he goes from Bethel to Jericho, and then he goes from Jericho to Jordan. And on each occasion you find exactly the same request used by Elijah. Elijah says these words on three occasions, tarry here, stay here. You find it in verse 2, you find it in verse 4, you find it in verse 6. And each time Elijah makes this request and asks Elisha to stay, you find exactly the same reply. Elisha refuses to leave his master. Now this uh, refusal to leave his master is interesting because if you remember last week when we were looking in 1 Kings and, and chapter 19, you remember what Elisha said to Elijah there when, he was, when the mantle was thrown upon him. He said in verse 20, I will follow thee. And at the end of verse 21, it says, Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. Now the interesting thing here is that, is that some commentators believe there may be 10 years between 1 Kings 19 and 2 Kings chapter 2. A 10 year gap between these two passages. And yet we find here that here is Elijah still following his master. Despite all the years that have passed, we still find him devoted to the prophets. And he refuses to abandon him. We may have wondered you know, whether his enthusiasm by now had waned a little bit. We may have wondered whether after years of hardship, whether he was still as selfless as he had been at the very beginning. Having now lived in obscurity and in exile, would his wholeheartedness still be on show? Would it still be a mark of his life and service? Or would he perhaps have you know, grown lukewarm over these years? Would he even still be following Elijah? But as we can see from these opening exchanges in this chapter, Elisha is still very much devoted to his master. He clings to him. He won't abandon him. He won't leave his side. He's still keen, even in these last moments of Elijah's life. He's keen even to glean more truths from him and learn of him in these last moments. It's a scene that uh, reminds us, doesn't it, of Ruth and Naomi. You remember how in Ruth chapter 1, Naomi tests uh, Ruth's devotion. And we have those words there, how she's going to go back. And she says to her daughters-in-law, you know, I'm going to return to Jerusalem. And she says, why, why will you go with me? Stay here, stay in Moab. You remember those wonderful words of Ruth as she hears that request from her mother-in-law from Naomi. She says in verses 16 and 17 of Ruth chapter 1, she says, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God, my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. 
And Elisha here, in a sense, is exactly the same. Look, I'm not going to leave you, Elijah. Elijah, your God will be my God, and I'm going to stay close to you right up until death. And friends, as we look at Elisha here, we see a beautiful pattern for us as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it raises a question for for, for us this morning. Are we devoted to the Saviour? Am I following Jesus as, as closely as I have done in the past? Is my love for him the same as it was, say, 10 years ago? Is it the same as it was 20 years ago? Is my love for him the same as when I first came to the Lord and I trusted in him? Believer, this morning, let me ask you, has your love grown cold? Have you become lukewarm in your devotion and service for your heavenly master? Do you follow him as closely as you should? You know, it's a wonderful thing, isn't it, to receive news about someone who perhaps you haven't heard from for many years. And the news that you hear is that they're still serving the Lord years later. It's a wonderful thing. Perhaps you hear they've gone to the mission field or they're serving in their local church. They're running the Sunday school. They're helping in the open air, whatever it might be. They're still devoted to the master. And I wonder if people hear news of you, do they, do they hear news that you're still devoted to Christ? Elisha here shows to his master a wonderful devotion, a devotion as he follows him. But there's a second thing I think we can draw from this this morning, and that is affection. He shows his devotion, but he also shows affection. Elisha refuses to leave the prophet's side And we've noted his persistence here in staying with Elijah. And and Elijah permits his servants and his disciple to then follow him. Even though he's asked him to tarry, even though he asked him to stay, he lets Elisha join with him on this journey as he goes to these different places. But their relationship was not formal. It was not some sort of cold relationship. It was not just a, a teacher with a pupil. But there was one clearly of the deepest union and, and companionship. And this is emphasized, I think, by the repetition of the number two in the passage. You may have noticed that as we read it. If you go to the end of verse six, for example, it says, and they too went on. And then you go to the end of verse seven, and it says, and they too stood by Jordan. And then you go to the end of verse eight, and it says, so that they too went over on dry ground. You have this repetition of this this word too. And I think that the Holy Spirit is emphasizing to us that Elijah and Elisha had this companionship and this affectionate relationship. There was a a harmony between them. You remember what uh, the prophet Amos said, Amos 3, verse 3. It says, can two walk together unless they be agreed? Or you think of Psalm 133, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Even when you come to verse 11 of this passage, you find the two still walking together. They've just crossed the Jordan. And it says that they're walking together. And as it came, and it came to pass as they still went on and talked. There's this wonderful friendship between them. They're they're talking. And and even as they're talking, that's when the, the chariots of fire come and divide them asunder. The last moments of, of Elijah's life on this earth was spent communing with his friends. And I've no doubt that they were speaking about spiritual things, speaking perhaps about the Lord, about the coming Messiah, what he would do, 
what the Lord Jesus Christ would, would accomplish. Remember, that's what we find Elijah doing. The next time we meet Elijah in the scriptures, we find him doing that on the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember that, uh, that passage there, how he's with Moses on the Mount, and they're talking about what the Christ deceased and what he would accomplish at Jerusalem. He's talking about the Savior. And friends, this morning, it's a wonderful thing, isn't it, to have friends that you can speak to and talk to about the Savior. It's a blessing from God to have Christian friendship, to have friends who know the Lord, to have friends that want to share with you the things that they've gleaned from the Scriptures. That's a great blessing. There's many believers around the world who, who the nearest believer lives miles and miles away. It's a wonderful thing to have that friendship and that companionship with others in Christ that we can talk to about the Savior. It's even more of a blessing when you can do it with family, when you can have uh, conversations with your children and your children are walking with the Lord. It's a wonderful thing to have a husband or wife who's walking with the Lord or parents and you can talk about the things of God. And friends, we should seek to cultivate our Christian friendships. We should seek to talk with people about the Lord. Let me ask you this morning, how much time do you spend with your Christian friends talking about the Lord? Do you spend more time with non-Christians than with God's people? You know, if we spend more time with people of the world, we have an overexposure to the world and to, and to their values and to the things of this world. It's only going to drag us away from the things of the scriptures. It's only going to pull us away from Christ. Now, of course, we're not to be hermits. We're not to never have conversations with people of this world. We're never to mix with the people. That's not what I'm saying. We, of course we are. We're to speak with them and talk with them. And we, we can have friends with the world, with people of the world. But we're to have a greater love and a greater friendship with those who share that unity in Christ. We're to have an unfeigned love of the brethren. Remember how Paul thanked the believers in Philippi for their fellowship in the gospel. And it worries me sometimes that, uh, that Christians don't want to get together. Surely we'd want to spend time with others who know the Lord's. Elisha doesn't want to leave Elijah. He's got this affection for him and they're talking and communing. Friends, who do we want to spend our time with? We should want to spend it with other believers. We want to spend it talking about our Savior. Elisha loved Elijah here. You see this, I think, really clearly expressed in verse 12. Elisha sees Elijah depart. He says, my father, my father. Do you see the affection there? It's a term of endearment. There was this wonderful, strong friendship between them. But this affection, it also points us to something else, doesn't it? It points us chiefly to the affection that we should have and the union that we should have with Christ. How often do we talk with him? How much of our day is taken up with him and in his presence? You know, friends, he's as close to us this morning as the Bibles that you've got on your laps. If you want to spend more time with Christ, open up your Bible and read your Bible because Christ is there. If you want to spend more time with Christ, then come in prayer. You can do it wherever you go. It could be as you drive to work, you can be talking to him, praying to him. 
It can be while you, you know, pick the children up from school. It could be in your work, in those moments when you've got one of those jobs which is mind-numbing, just something simple that you can do. You can spend that time just speaking to the Lord, spending time in his presence. You can take, do it, you can go for a walk. I find that's very helpful. You go for a walk, just spend time talking to the Lord. And we should be like Enoch, shouldn't we? And like Abraham. You remember how they walked with the Lord? And walking speaks of activity and continuance. It speaks of progress. Friends, this morning, are we pressing on towards heaven, walking with Christ? Elijah here shows a, a wonderful affection for his master. But there's a third thing that I want to you to notice here this morning, we've seen this devotion and we've seen this affection, but notice also separation. Separation. We notice in these opening verses that we're told that Elijah will be taken up by a whirlwind into heaven. It's all leading to this point, isn't it, where Elijah is going to be translated into heaven. And the various sons of the prophets that they meet at Bethel and Jericho and Jordan, they all know that Elijah is going to be uh, taken up and we have this phrase repeated to Elisha they come to Elisha and they say you know knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today and Elisha's replies the same each time it is how he says there in verse 2 for example in verse 3 yea I know it hold ye your peace he comes to them and he he tells them to be quiet this is going to be a day of separation for Elisha it's going to be a day of sadness for him he feels the best response is to say very little. He wants them to keep quiet. And friends, I think this is a, something that's a good practice when perhaps someone is about to lose a loved one. The best response may be one of quiet. It may be one of just contemplation. Solomon reminds us, doesn't he, that there's a time to keep silence as well as a, a time to speak. But Elisha and Elijah here, they press on towards the Jordan and Elijah performs this remarkable miracle in verse 8 as he takes his mantle and he strikes the river so that the waters divide and the two cross on dry ground. It's a reminder of Moses, isn't it, at the Red Sea. It's a reminder of Joshua at the very same place as the, the waters divide. And then we see there in verse 11 that they're still walking and talking, as we said. And as they're walking and talking, it says, Behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire. And parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And we have here recorded this most amazing moment when Elijah becomes only the second person in, in human history and the last person to not have to taste death. Of course, Enoch being the other one in, in Genesis 5. But here in this description in, in verse 11, we're told that there's the chariot of fire and the horses of fire appear. It parted Elijah and Elisha. It separated them. One was taken and the other was left. Two went down to Jordan, but only one returns. And it's a reminder to us, isn't it, that separation is part of life. There are partings in this world. We have to say goodbye to friends who move away. We have to say farewell to our children as they grow up and leave the nest Fathers kiss their daughters on their wedding day, don't they, as they hand them over to the man who's going to marry them. And of course, there's final goodbyes when we say goodbye to those who leave this world as they embrace and taste death. And this scene reminds us of death, even though Elijah here doesn't taste death, 
but it reminds us that death is the great separator. The Jordan River in Scripture is often used as a picture and a symbol of death. Now, as we said here, Elijah doesn't taste this death, but it reminds us that each of us will. Elijah is the exception, not the norm. And each one of us will one day have to cross the Jordan, unless, of course, the Lord comes between now and then. And death brings separation and it brings sadness. Elisha cries out, my father, my father. He rents his clothes. He was overtaken with sorrow at the loss of his friends. But what we read here supplies us with, a, in a sense, a wonderful antidote to the sadness and the separ- of the separation of death. Because as believers, we, we sorrow not even as others which have no hope. We have a glorious hope as believers. When a believer dies, they may be absent from the body, but they're present with the Lord's. And we know what Paul says, that to be with Christ is far better. And you notice what it tells us here about Elijah. It says that Elijah, that he went up by a whirlwind into heaven. It doesn't say that he went into oblivion. It doesn't say that he he went into some sort of soul sleep. No, Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And John writes, doesn't he, in Revelation, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord's. When the believer dies, he goes to be with Christ. He goes to be in heaven. Elisha's translation here, into heaven, reminds us there is death. There is life after death. That as Christians, we are heaven bound. That every path that we take in this life is ultimately leading heavenwards. There's going to come a day when we are taken from this earth, but we're not taken from this earth into some nothingness, but we're taken into the very presence of God to see Christ. Death may be the last enemy, but for the Christian we can say, Death, where is thy sting? Grave, where is thy victory? And as we look on at Elijah rising up heavenwards, it also reminds us, doesn't it, that the reason why we are going heavenwards is because our Saviour is already there. We read that passage in Acts chapter 1 that reminds us that Christ, he not only died, not only was he buried, not only did he rise again, but then he's ascended into heaven. He's there seated even today, even right now, at the right hand of the Father. And he's there because he has conquered death on behalf of his people. It was he that overcame sin. It was him that overcame Satan at the cross. It's him that's gone before us. He's the first fruits. And we're going to to follow him. And he's now seated in glory and he's preparing a place for us. Remember what he promised in John 14 verse 3. He says, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am. There ye may be also. And as we see Elijah here passing up through the clouds, through this whirlwind into heaven, it's a reminder that one day we will be with Christ too. But also that one day Christ is coming again for his people. That one day he's going to come and take us and body and soul will be reunited and we will be with Christ for all eternity. The first fruits and we will follow and believer, this morning, do we see the comfort of this passage? Elijah taken up into heaven. I trust that all of us here this morning, we are looking forward to that day when we will be with Christ. 
And as we press on in this life, as he's the one who sanctifies us and preserves us and keeps us, that he's keeping us for that day when we will be with him for all eternity. Well, may each of us continue then faithfully to follow our master as Elisha did here. May we walk with him, talk with him, and be devoted to his service as we see that day approaching.